Hi, this is Rob Foltz, campus pastor at Lee University, and we want to welcome you to this podcast. People of faith, God has called us to worship. Please join me in the call to worship, which comes to us from the book of Habakkuk. Join me printed in the bold. Lord, we have heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, God strode through the earth, and in anger, God threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. So we will wait patiently for the day of calamity. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fail and fields produce no food, yet we will rejoice in the Lord. We will be joyful in God our Savior. Let us stand and sing to our God. When we gather together in the body, it is good and it is right to confess our sins to one another, corporately and individually to God. The call to confession comes to us from Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, 
If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, there are many people on our hearts and on our minds today. Those who have hurt us and we have failed to forgive them. Father, in this moment, when we come to you, asking you to hear our silent prayers, we pray for conviction that you would allow us to open up our souls to you and to confess to you what we need so desperately to confess. Hear the prayers of our hearts, O Lord. Thank you. 
friends, forgiving others is not meant to be easy. After all, the forgiveness came through a great sacrifice. And forgiving ourselves seems sometimes even more difficult. Do you believe that by the power of the cross, your sins as are far away from the east as to the west? Do you believe that you are free now, that your chains are broken, that you're no longer a slave to sin? Please join me in the assurance of pardon. It comes to us from Jude. Join me in the bold. But you, dear friends, because of the forgiveness you've been shown, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy, mixed with fear, yet hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. To him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Friends, believe the good news. Truly, we are forgiven. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for your forgiveness. Thank you for the joy of salvation that you've planted in our hearts so that we can sing in every circumstance to the glory of your name. Father, with this gift of forgiveness, help us to indeed show mercy without any strings attached. Father, we come to your word this morning, not seeking to know about you, but seeking to know you. Father, please, in this moment, reveal yourself. Soften our hearts, open our eyes, open our ears, so that we would get a little glimmer, a glimpse, of what heaven is all about. Thy kingdom come here on earth. We love you, we praise you, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, by your power and for your glory. Amen. A catastrophe is another word for disaster, calamity, ruin, tragedy. But if we take the prefix, E-U, which in Greek means good, then it becomes eucatastrophe, a good catastrophe, a good disaster, a good tragedy. J.R.R. Tolkien coined that term when he, in a letter, wrote, the incarnation of God was the eucatastrophe of all human history. Keeping this in mind, let us turn our attention to the Old Testament lesson, which comes to us from Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 21. Listen now for a word from our Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, 
This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go. So I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. This concludes the reading from the Old Testament lesson. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a horrifying passage, a text of terror, especially if you were Gershom, Moses' firstborn son. Can you imagine? You're just walking along one day when all of a sudden the wrath of God appears and your mom goes bris on you. Son, drop your drawers or your dad's going to die. This is terrifying. Not only is this a scary passage, but this is a weird passage. This is odd. This is strange. It doesn't seem to make sense. This is a difficult text. And what I have learned is that reading it in the original Hebrew and the Septuagint Greek does not help. I've also learned that reading the plethora of commentaries about this also does not help. There is way more written about this text than is written in the text. And scholars are, seem just as confused with comments like, this must be a later edition, imposed by a redactor, an obvious interpolation from the J tradition. Friends, all scripture, even the odd ones, all scripture is God-breathed. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Of course, the question is, is how is this passage useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness? I propose this morning that the best way to read this text and to read all scripture is to read it from a Christocentric perspective. Now, I know that that is very controversial. But because we are Christians, we should always be looking in the text. How is it pointing to Jesus? The problem in this text is that God has called and commissioned Moses to go to Egypt. But then on the way to Egypt, God decides to kill Moses. Some people might be like, whoa, your God is totally capricious Erratic, one day like this, another day like that, flip-flop. While others, instead of attacking the character of God, will attack the character of the scriptures. And they'll say, aha, contradiction. Your Bible is full of contradictions. See, passages right back to back contradict each other. While most of us, we simply shrug and say, it's a mystery. A contradiction is defined as statements that are opposed to each other. But a paradox, on the other hand, a paradox, it states in the dictionary, 
that it is a seemingly contradictory statement. So a paradox seems like a contradiction, but it's not. There is a very hazy line between a paradox and a contradiction, and it really depends on the subjective nature of the reader. But if you are anything like me, you wrestle with those hazy lines all the time with questions like, how is God totally transcendent and yet at the same time totally imminent? How is God on the center and the circumference, the margins and the middle? How is God 100% divine and 100% human? Light of light, very God of very God. How is the Father the Son, and not the Son. See, friends, this is much more than just a mystery. This is the reality of our language. When we encounter the all-encompassing God, we are pushed into a place of limits and constrictions in our words. How do you describe the undescribable? How do you explain the unexplainable? This is what I like to call orthodoxy and paradoxy. Orthodoxy and paradoxy. God is new every morning, and yet he is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. When you encounter the unchangeable God, you are changed. We are predestined, and yet we are free. Free to be slaves of Christ. We wear a yoke in order to find rest. We are a universal people, and yet we are a local people. Christ lives in me, and yet sin is in me. We are saved by grace in order to do good works. We are saved once and always saved, and yet I'm working my salvation out with fear and trembling. We grow in Christian maturity by having childlike faith. And we find life in none other than dying. Orthodoxy in paradoxy. God called Moses out of the bush. He called to Moses, commissioned Moses, but Moses wasn't intimidated by God. Moses wasn't afraid of God. In fact, I would say that Moses was afraid of man, and that is why he did not circumcise Gershom on the eighth day when he was supposed to. He didn't want his son to be marked off like a slave. Oh, no. Moses wasn't afraid of God. In fact, he talks back to God with three excuses. They're not going to listen to me. I don't talk so good, and I don't want to send somebody else. It's on that I don't want to send somebody else, verse 14 of this chapter, in which it states God's anger burns against Moses. But we don't see that anger until verse 24 because, after all, God is slow to anger and abounding in love. While at the same time, God is not slow in keeping his promises, not wanting anyone to perish. What is God, slow or not slow? Oy vey. But whether God is slow or not slow, at the very same time, the wrath of God eventually comes. Do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps what a man sows. Now listen to me on this. 
If you sow to please the flesh, from the flesh you will reap destruction. But if you sow from the Spirit, from the Spirit you will reap eternal life. The text tells us that God met Moses. That God's anger burned against Moses, that that God was about to kill Moses. When out of the shadows, a very unlikely hero emerges. A leader, a true leader. A leader of leaders, a leader who doesn't hesitate. A leader who doesn't have excuses. A leader who knows exactly what to do. A leader who is a foreigner, a leader, an outsider, a servant, a leader who saves. And her name is Zipporah. This isn't catastrophe diverted. This is you catastrophe. For Zipporah is the role model. She shows Moses how to intercede on behalf of the people. And she provides a Passover, a Passover before the Passover, a passing over of death. Most people say that Moses is the big hero. But without Zipporah, there would be no Moses. She circumcises her firstborn son, an outsider, makes him an insider. She smears the blood on Moses' feet, saving him from the holy and the just wrath of God. Moses is saved by the blood of his firstborn son. Israel will be saved by the blood of the Lamb. But Pharaoh's son? Pharaoh's son will not be covered by the blood. Hence, Pharaoh's son will not be saved. Because God's wrath is just. God's wrath is good. God's wrath is right. And God's wrath eventually comes because his mercy endures forever. Don't say, I believe in his love and not in his wrath. For his love is the occasion for his wrath. It is because of his love that he is opposed to the wicked and to the, fa the foul. On the one hand, we are created in the image of God. We are told this over and over and over. You're created in the image of God. But don't forget, Paul tells us that on the other hand, at the very same time, we are by nature objects of wrath. Habakkuk prays it like this. We prayed the prayer this morning in our call to worship. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. Faith comes through hearing. I have heard of your fame, and I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. And then he says, in wrath. In wrath. Not above wrath, below wrath, beside wrath, or apart from wrath, but it's in the wrath. In wrath, remember mercy. In catastrophe, remember good. For it was the outsider who protected the insider. 
It was the humbled who was exalted, the weak who saved the mighty. It was the one on the margins who stood in the middle between Moses and his judge. The same judge who stands between us and our judge. That same judge who stood trial. See, loved ones, it's at the cross where we see the fullest, the fullest measure of God's wrath. At the very same time, it is at the cross where we see the fullest measure of God's mercy. How does the song go? Till on that cross Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. By his bondage, we were free unblemished for the blemished, broken for the restored, where the great high priest is the sacrifice, a bridegroom of blood for us. Friends, as we approach the table this morning, we remember back to the Passover. At the same time, we remember forward to the great wedding feast. At the same time, we are being united as one, just as God, who is three, is one. As we gather at the table this morning, I say to you, welcome to the paradox. Please join me in the Sursum Corda, which is printed in your bulletin. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. Father, we praise you. Joining our voices with the choirs of angels and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. And with thanksgiving, we take this bread and this cup and we proclaim the life-giving death of our Lord. Receive our sacrifice of praise, O God. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us that this meal may be a communion in the body and the blood of you. Make us one with Christ, with all who share this feast. Unite us in faith. Encourage us with hope. Inspire us to show mercy that we may serve as your faithful disciples until we feast at your table in glory. We praise you, eternal God, through Christ your word made flesh in the holy and life-giving spirit now and forevermore. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he blessed it. And then he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup, and as he poured, he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. Whenever you drink of this, do so in remembrance of that sacrifice, that life-giving death. Would my servers please come forward?
This morning we'll be doing communion via intinction. From the nave, just watch the row in front of you coming down, taking from these two stations. The balcony, when you notice that there's not so many people at the transepts anymore taking their meals, please come down to the transepts. And I will be providing the gluten-free station. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The table is now ready. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you have blessed us in order to be a blessing. Take this meal and feed us, nourish us, equip us to be your body, unified, yet willing to be broken for others. We ask, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Spirit 
fill us and always be with us. We praise you in the sweet and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand for the charge and benediction. People of God, who among you will intercede? Who among you will stand in the middle between God's wrath and those who are not covered by the blood? Who among you will save others, snatching them from the fire, showing mercy mixed with fear, yet hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh? Who among you will do this? Whoever you are, I charge you to go to proclaim that by the bridegroom, in God's wrath, God remembered mercy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. 
We want to thank you for listening today. And if you want more information on our upcoming events, you can visit our website at leeuniversity.edu.